coming up on this week's podcast. Our ability to have the kind of agape love that Paul prayed for those Philippians is going to grow as we learn and, and know God. And our ability to love is really going to be proportionate to how well we know God. Because the more we know him and the more we understand the grace and the love, the amazing things that he has done for us and just the amazing thing that he is, the more our love for him will grow. Stay tuned for more. And welcome to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a vibrant church committed to biblically-based teaching, often focusing on discovering the Jewish roots of faith. You can find out more about our church at newhopechapel.org. Now, here's Julie Coleman with today's message. Well, I'm going to embarrass my daughter this morning with a story from her childhood. Um, My kids kind of understand that's sort of the way it is with having me as a mom. You know, they'll, they'll, something funny will happen or, or uh, you know, they'll tell a story from old and somebody will say, be careful, it'll end up in a dogwood digest. <laughs> and it usually does. Um, but I want to tell you, my daughter Melanie, she's our only girl. We have three boys and, um, and then Melanie is a girl. And so we're really thrilled to have her. And um, she it surprised me a little bit because, you know, my boys grew up learning how to make, you know, truck noises and talking to their hands with each other and things like that. But Melanie was a girl, and she was very different in how she uh, would express herself and her individuality. One thing that I did notice about her was she really loved to imitate me because I was the only other female in the house, and so, of course, she was drawn to that. And she would do things like, even before she could talk, she'd, she'd get the phone and she'd walk around. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> laughing just like I would laugh on the phone. Um, she'd get into my makeup and my jewelry and all those things. And, and a lot of times I would shudder to hear my exact words coming out of her mouth because, um, but she loved to imitate me. Well, one day I went into the bathroom and I found Melanie with my toothbrush scrubbing between her toes. <laughs> so I complained to my husband about this, as you can imagine. And he said, Julie, she just wants to be you. <laughs> And, you know, how else to learn about becoming a woman by other than watching a woman, right? And so when we're trying to learn to be, to be something or to do something, one of the best ways we can learn is by following an example that's set before us. Um, Paul urged the Philippians to do just that. This is what he said. Brethren, join in following my example. Can you imagine saying that to somebody? I don't think I'd ever have the nerve. <laughs> because I know how much fault I have, but observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So look at people who are doing what they're supposed to be doing and follow their example. Well, we can benefit in that way when it comes to prayer, because in prayer there's lots of examples in Scripture about how to pray. And now a couple weeks ago we looked at Jesus and his example to prayer in the Lord's Prayer. And so we learned about attitudes that we needed to have. Um, The disciples had a terrible example in front of them in the Pharisees, and Jesus was saying, don't pray like that, pray like this. So that's one example that we can follow um, from the Lord himself. But there is another example that we can follow when it comes to um, praying, and that's found in Philippians. Now, there's a lot of, Paul puts prayers all throughout all of his epistles, and one of my seminary professors once said, Boy, it would be really great if somebody would do a series on all the prayers that Paul prayed. 
So I was a little inspired. We're not doing a whole series. We're doing one. But he'd be proud, I'm sure. (laughs) But anyway, um, this particular prayer is a prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians for their transformation. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And so it's a prayer that if we pray, we will never be the same. And this is the prayer. This is in Philippians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on this. Lord, that's a mouthful, and we would just ask you that you would help us to look at this scripture carefully and to uh, see what's in it for us, see how you would have us apply Paul's prayer to the Philippians to our own prayer life and to your work within us. God, we want to be transformed. We don't want to stay the same. We see all the faults that we have in us. We see all of our weaknesses. And we want, God, for you to transform every single part of us to match the saving work that you've done within us already. So, Lord, I just ask that you would just make this prayer just ring in our hearts and change us from the inside out. We know it's only through the power of your Holy Spirit that that can happen. I pray that you just guide my words, Lord. Don't let me get in the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Paul was writing this prayer to the Philippians. And Philippi was the very first place that Paul gave the gospel or preached the gospel in Europe. So it was the very first European converts. Um, If you look at this map of his missionary journey, this is the second missionary journey. I know it's small, but you can see, start in Jerusalem, which is on the bottom right-hand corner, and all the way up at the top left-hand corner is where Philippi is. And he landed there. There was no uh, synagogue there. There weren't enough Jews there at the time. And so um, they they would meet down by the river. And one of the converts, first converts, was Lydia. And um, she became a convert in her whole household. Then he worked with a slave girl who um, he delivered from demon possession. Um, Ended up getting thrown in jail for that one. And then the third one was the Philippian jailer, (laughs) where he was in jail. And he ended up being a convert as well. And those are the first three converts that we know about. But he stayed for a while, and he worked with the people, and he taught them and he invested in them in in Philippi and finally they ended up having to leave but it's just kind of interesting because you know when you put yourself into a church like that there's a lot of emotional investment you've got an, you've, you've invested something a part of you is there and that's what Paul felt so when you read this book of Philippians you get this strong emotion this strong bond this strong love that he has for the people there in Philippi um, and that's important to know because as we look well what is he asking for He's asking in that prayer for complete transformation, and I'll prove that to you in a minute. Um, He's asking for transformation of their heart and their mind and their will. And this is how it breaks down. If you take a look at it grammatically, this is my prayer. This is the first part, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So what he's praying for there is transformation of their heart, their heart's response to knowing God better. Then the second part of his prayer, so that you may be able to discern what is best. And so this discernment, this idea of evaluation, it's transformation of their mind. So their heart, their mind, and then the third part, 
that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now here you have the will, the act of obedience, of action going according to that. So the transformation, those three transformations are the first is your, um, your heart, the second is your mind, and the last would be your will. And those are the three things that Paul was praying for. In other words, complete transformation. Everything he was, or they were, Paul was praying to be transformed to the image of Christ. Well, you might be thinking, well, I thought some transformation has already happened because we were given a new nature, and that's very true. Um, he redeemed us, and when he redeemed us, he created something in us that's new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. So we have this new nature, this new creation within us that happened at the moment of our salvation. Now, what is this nature? <laughs> That's one of those phrases Christians toss around a lot, and nobody's really sure what, what is a nature anyway. And so I did some research on it, trying to figure it out for myself. And what I came up with was our nature is kind of like a potential. It's a potential, an ability to be able to do something. Our old nature, we had no ability, no potential to be able to please God and even have a relationship with him because we had this old nature that was full of sin. But when God created that new nature, that new potential, that new creation within us, now we do have the ability to know God, to love him, to understand him. Um, we are now spiritual beings, and so there is a new nature in us. So we have it in us right now, that new nature. But it hasn't taken over everything that we are, and you know that because you still sin. So there's some of that old nature still left in us. And Galatians 5 puts it this way. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So we have this potential to live lives that please the Lord, but the creation, this new creation, is still housed in the old body. And so there's this tension between the two, uh, the old and the new creation. Now, you know the story of Cinderella. It's one of my favorite fairy tales. And Cinderella, it's awesome because she starts off as a scullery maid scrubbing floors and, and being ruled by her ugly stepsisters. And then she eventually falls in love and marries the prince. And I know you know all the whole fairy tale. But now think about this. Once Cinderella was given this brand new life, brought into the palace now, she's a princess, wife of the prince, and she's dressed in these beautiful gowns, and she's living the life of luxury, servants to meet her every need. But think if Cinderella wasn't able to give up her old self, that the prince would come one morning and find her scrubbing floors, and he would, you know, see her not dressed in beautiful silk gowns, but in these old ratty clothes. She had to match who she was to the new position that she was given. And so that transformation needed to take place. Well, our status has changed. Our position has changed in front of Christ. Our nature has changed. But we need to get the rest of us matched up to that work that God has already done. As a matter of fact, Paul told the Philippians, um, that's not this verse, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our transformation is still an ongoing process. It says that here in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect God's glory, are being transformed, being transformed, present tense verb, right, into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So 
Paul is praying for the Philippians in that prayer that we read earlier for their, their selves to be one day, all of them, all of who they are, to be transformed um, into the same um, nature that we were given at the time of our salvation. And he promised the Philippians this, he who began a good work in you, your salvation, will be faithful to complete it. So this transformation is an ongoing thing. Now, you'll find on the back of your bulletin, I hope you got one when you came in the door, there's an outline for um, the rest of what I want to talk about, and that'll help you fill in the blanks. Um, That helps me pay attention. I don't know about you. (laughs) But we're going to take a look at the three kinds of transformation that Paul was praying for the Philippians. Remember, it's going to be the heart, the mind, and the will. Those are those three things. So the first thing he prays is for the heart. And that part of the prayer says, and I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So he's praying that they may be abounding in love. Now, the Greek word for love, there's several words that are translated love. One is eros, which is a physical, sensual love. One is um, uh, phileo, which is the um, kind of brotherly love. It's where we get the, the names Philadelphia from. And, but both of those loves are loves that you're getting something back. You're getting something in return. But the love that Paul prays for the Philippians is neither of those two. He's praying for agape love. Now, agape love is the kind of love that God has for us. So what does that mean? Well, it's a self-sacrificing love. It's fueled by need rather than what somebody desires. And um, it's the kind of love that God has for this. And it's described in this verse. By this, we, by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Here we go. Here's a good definition of agape love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the kind of love God has for us, self-sacrificing. It wasn't about anything we were doing. It was him deciding to love us and sacrificing his own son on our behalf. That's the kind of love that Paul is praying for the Philippians, agape love. So how was he praying that that would be accomplished? Well, the means of transportation would be knowledge and insight. Knowledge and insight. Those two words in Greek, knowledge is, um, the usual word for knowledge is gnosis. But this word is epignosis, epigenosis, I think is how we pronounce it, which is a deeper and more advanced kind of a knowledge. So it's like knowledge (laughs) instead of knowledge. So that's what it is. And that insight, the Greek word has the um, definition of having a capacity to understand. So you get this deep knowledge and this capacity to understand. In other words, it's going to give us perception into God's ways. Now, How would that transform our heart, knowing God more? Well, it allows us the ability to understand him better. And the greater we understand him and know him, the greater we're going to love him. And then, of course, that love will be translated into our love for other people as well. So knowledge and insight into God helps us to be able to love more, that our love would uh, be more and more abundant as he prayed. So... Now, if, if you think about, okay, so God is going to do this transforming work in us. He's going to change our hearts. He's going to do it through knowledge and insight. Well, is there any way we can participate in that? Is there a way that we can keep that from happening? And I would say yes. I mean, 
God is, you know, he's a gentleman. <laughs> he's not pushing, pushing. He wants us to participate. He wants us to be with him as he's working in these things. And I think the thing that we can do in this case, where we, what we're trying to get knowledge and insight, is that we need to know him. We need to know him. We can find that clue in 1 John 4. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So you get this idea. If you know God, you're going to love, because that's, that's how it works. So we need to make it our business to know God. Well, how do you do that? <laughs> well, good start right here. Because he's revealed everything, everything about us, him that he, we need to know right here in Scripture. And that's a great place to start. We need to make it our business to find out about God. Our ability to have the kind of agape love that Paul prayed for those Philippians is going to grow as we learn and, and know God. And our ability to love is really going to be proportionate to how well we know God. Because the more we know him and the more we understand the grace and the love the amazing things that he has done for us and just the amazing thing that he is, the more our love for him will grow and then our, that love will extend toward others. So our love will abound more and more. So that's the first area of transformation Paul prayed for. The second transform area of transformation is in the mind. Um, and he prayed, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Hmm, discern, what does that mean? Well, that dakamatsu means to test, examine, prove, scrutinize, to make a critical examination of something, to determine genuineness. And what is best? Um, it says uh, it's, it's uh, diaphero and it's to uh, the important things, the things that really matter. So in other words, Paul was praying for the Philippians to have the ability to scrutinize what's most important, what really matters. He's praying for that depth of spiritual insight, sort of like what he was praying for, for the heart. Um, 1 Corinthians tells us, We have received the Spirit who is from God, that we may be, understand what God has freely given us. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. That makes judgments is that word discern. But he himself is not subject to any man's judgment, but we have the mind of Christ. So in our minds... Paul was praying that he wanted us to be transformed so that we'd be able to discern. Well, what are we supposed to be discerning? Well, I found a list when I did a search of that word discern, of things that we're supposed to discern. And here are just some examples, and I'll just run through these really quickly just to give you a broad idea. What is good and what is evil? Hebrews says discern between good and evil. What makes for a worthy life? Um, that you'll be filled with knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. We also can discern what the will of God is. Uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Self-evaluation. First Corinthians, a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. Everything we come across, First Thessalonians, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. And, of course, looking at teachers, oops, went a little bit fast, uh, looking at teachers, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we really do need this discernment in order to be able to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Um, but it's a lifelong process. It's not something that just happens instantaneously. 
it's something that happens over time and develops. Um, and so our thinking becomes more and more the way God wants us to think. Well, what's the means of transportation of our, excuse me, transformation of our minds? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians says, we have received the Spirit, who is from God, that we may understand what God has really given us. So we get the, the Holy Spirit living within us, transforms our minds. He is the means of our um, transformation. Uh, he goes on to say, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. We have the mind of Christ. As intelligent and educated as we may be, that spiritual ability to understand the transformation of our mind happens only through the Holy Spirit. We can't make that happen on our own. But we can participate. And how do we participate in the transformation of our minds? Well, Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us. He says, renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, the obvious tool, tool to aid this transformation is scripture. Again, it's getting that constant input of truth into our lives. You know, the world has input into us all day long. The TV, the radio, um, music that we might play on our iPods, uh, conversations that you might have at work, input, input, input. We need to make sure that the Holy Spirit is something to work with. We need to make sure we're inputting truth into our minds. And then the transformation can take place. So if we're filling our minds with garbage all day long, then there's not going to be a whole lot to work with. It's like trying to drive a car without any gas. <laughs> that doesn't work too well. Take my word for it. I've tried it a few times. <sighs> you think I'd learn after a while. But anyway, <laughs> you know, you can't, you have to have something for the Holy Spirit to work with. So fill your mind, renew your mind by putting good stuff into it. Um, Philippians says this, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So make sure you're putting the right things in your mind so the Holy Spirit can uh, transform you. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. So where you put your mind, what you put into your mind is going to either aid or hinder that process of transformation. So Paul prayed for our hearts, or, and he prayed for minds, and the last thing he prayed for to make a complete transformation of everything is the will. The will. And he prayed that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, once our hearts and our minds have been changed and transformed, it's going to come out in our actions. And the will is all about our actions and what we do and our response to what we know and what we feel. And so um, the will is a very important part of our transformation process. The will is obedience in action. That's what we want to see us transform to, willing ourselves to be obedient. And he talked about the fruit of righteousness. Well, what does that fruit of righteousness look like? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our actions are to match exactly what we have spiritually. And Colossians says, and we pray this in order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, 
growing in the knowledge of God. So obedience and action is our transformation of the will. And how does God transform us? This is kind of interesting. When you look back at that prayer, it says through the, the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So our, our actions, our will, are transformed through the righteousness that we're given. And Paul says, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So that righteousness, our actions are a response to what God has already done in us. Um, and so that is the tool. So what does that mean for us? How can we participate in that transformation process of our will? You might be a little surprised. I'm not going to give you a list of do's and don'ts. <laughs> but I am going to tell you that we participate by abiding in him. Now, you might have been thinking as you were looking through that list of, you know, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, think, I can do that, I can do that, I can do that. And all of a sudden it starts becoming about what we do. I gotta be good, I gotta, I gotta please God, I gotta make sure that I don't let sin enter those areas of my life. Mm, that's not what God had in mind at all. Because what happens is if we start concentrating on those actions and on the things we gotta do, 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 all of a sudden it becomes all about us, 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 us. <laughs> and there's two possibilities of an outcome. The first is that we succeed and that we do manage to, for the most part, it'll never be perfect, but we manage to do a lot of those good things. But what happens is when we're concentrating on those actions, all of a sudden things start to get, you start feeling pretty good about yourself. You know, especially if you look at somebody else who's not as good as you. You know, I'm not that bad. I'm way better than that. Well, guess who did that? The Pharisees. <laughs> We don't want to be like them, right? So, so we've got to be careful because if we start concentrating on our actions and we actually are fairly successful, that results in pride, results in legalism and, and rule following. And all of a sudden, it's not about Christ at all. It's all about us. Then you get the other extreme. You fail. I'd probably fit in that category a little bit better. Okay, so I'm concentrating on my works and I keep failing, 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 failing. Well, what does that happen? Failure incapacitates us when it's about us. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. And all of a sudden, we're out of the game. <laughs> so what's the solution? Stop looking at the actions and start looking at him. Abide in him. You know, when I was teaching fifth grade, every year in the springtime, we would cut forsythia branches that were budding but not blooming, and we would bring them inside and put them in water, and the warmth of the classroom and the water um, it would make them bloom into you know, beautiful bushes, and, you know, we're doing this unit on plants and explaining this to the kids how this thing happens. And those Prasithia uh, branches looked pretty for a little while, but they were never going to live because they were cut off from the vine. They were never going to produce fruit. It just wasn't possible because they were cut off from the vine. Jesus knew this truth, and he told his disciples this. No branch can bear fruit, those fruit of righteousness that Paul was praying about, by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. And if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So our whole intent, our whole focus needs to be not on us and what we're doing, but on the Lord and what he's done for us, and who he is, and as our love for him grows, then our actions, our will, it's going to change anyway. So make sure you have the focus on the right thing. 
We don't want to be preoccupied with ourselves instead of Jesus Christ. Now, God does want us to have a healthy self-awareness and evaluate ourselves from time to time, but he doesn't want us to be preoccupied with ourselves and what we're doing. We want the focus to be on him. And scripture promises what happens if we choose to do that. In Lamentations, it says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. And Isaiah says, Those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. When our focus is on the Lord, our energy comes from him our, and our will, our power in order to be able to exercise our will to be in obedience to him will follow. So in conclusion then, Paul's example is one that we should follow regarding our spiritual transformation. There's a whole lot about us that needs to be transformed. And Paul's prayer goes through those three things. First, is our heart. And by studying God's word and we learn more and more of him as we know him, we aid in that transformation process as he transforms us by knowledge of him. Second thing is that our mind and setting our minds on the thing above, whether it's pure or good or lovely, gives the Holy Spirit something to work with in our minds. And last, our will, keeping our eyes on him, abiding in him, so his spirit will be able to bear fruit in us. Well, in closing, I've got a little letter I want to read to you that I, read, I got from a girl a couple years ago. She's a young girl, just graduated from college a few years ago, and she was in full-time ministry at that time. And it's, but what struck me about this letter was that it's a real prayer of transformation for her heart. And I wanted to read it to you as a practical example of what it's like to participate with God as he's transforming our hearts. My dear friends and family, as my support team, I see you all as the board of directors for my life, my wise counsel and prayer warriors. I've been told numerous times by several of you to let you know when I need prayer. Well, I need it now. As you know, my fiancé and I took the interim youth pass position at our church, and those of you who have spoken with me in the last month know it hasn't been a cakewalk. The volunteers have openly told us that they don't understand why the church hired us and, quite honestly, would rather us not be around. Can you imagine trying to be in ministry with that kind of attitude? <laughs> I have been attempting to guard against bitterness, but whether it's because I didn't try hard enough or what, I know that at this point my heart is diseased by it. This internal battle has been intense, and I know that I'm losing. Yesterday and today the leader sent us incredibly aggressive emails. You know how emails can be. <laughs> I understand the reasons they are lashing out. They're hurt. They feel unimportant. They're burnout. They're bitter. But despite all my understanding, the lashings still hurt me, and I can feel the wounds beginning to fester. I've experienced periods of bitterness before, and it's just as dangerous spiritually as cancer is physically. Please pray for my healing. Pray for my heart. I want to love these volunteers, so I need your help. I can't seem to muster the love on my own. Now that's a heartfelt prayer of someone who understands that her heart needs transforming to love in spite of what's been shown to her. Agape love. It's a prayer of transformation. Transformational prayers like these should be a part of our walk as we're walking with Christ. We should be praying for that transformation because transformation is at the heart of exactly what God desires for us above all else. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. New Hope Chapel is a vibrant ministry in Arnold, Maryland. 
We are a Christ-centered church with biblically-based teaching focused on the Jewish roots of the faith and committed to helping each person discover and use their spiritual gifts. If you're in the area, we would love for you to come and visit. You can find out more information about our church at newhopechapel.org. Subscribe to the New Hope Chapel podcast on iTunes, and you'll get the next podcast in your sleep. New Hope Chapel.